Welcome to CritterCast episode 51. Woo! 51, the the one after the big 50. 50 plus one. Indeed, otherwise known as 49 plus two. Not 52, not 53. 51. That's right. That's what today is here on CritterCast. And today we're talking about the the enigmas of the sea, honestly. This this animal that people seem to think they know a lot about, but also some people don't believe it exists. What? <laughs> like what are we are, are we talking about mermaids? No. It's oh. not a Patreon exclusive episode. This oh. is a, an episode for all CritterCast listeners. And today we're talking about seahorses. It's Cassie and Karina and we're at it again. Sharing cool facts about our animal friends. We make stupid jokes and we laugh a lot. But we also like to learn, so give us a shot. We'll talk about snails and their tweezer teeth. Or gush about our love of manatees. We'll tell you why owls are so scary to us. And there's tons more critters that we'll discuss. We promise to make sure you'll have a blast. Because you're listening to CritterCast. Yay! It's time! I feel like this is how every episode goes and I should pick a new word. <laughs> Other than yay? Yeah. It's like after every time we play the theme song, I just want to launch yay. right into it. Like a child. Yay, David. Yay. Oh, my God. Nom, nom, David. <laughs> nom, nom for us. <laughs> you guys, Cassie and I, we, oh, right, should introduce ourselves. That would sure. be a good thing to do on this on this episode. Just in case it's your first episode, my name's Karina. My name is Cassie. And we are co-hosts of this podcast that you clicked on. So hopefully you know we're called CritterCast. And hopefully you meant to click on us. And if not, that's okay. Stay, Don't click stay back. Stay a while. Fine. Just we, hang out. Yeah, welcome. Uh, here on CritterCast, we make bi-weekly episodes between 45 minutes and an hour just gushing about all the facts of any particular animal. We're hilarious and brilliant at the same time. Oh, and humble. I know. It's the perfect <laughs> package. We are not experts here at CritterCast, but we do love to research. So we'll generally take an animal that we know either absolutely nothing about or we think we know a solid bit of information about. I don't know a what I was going bit. there. Yeah. It's fine. It's a bit. It's uh, and, a thing. And learn that we knew nothing all along. So really, we're <laughs> so just, we, we're deep into the research game. You can always find all of our sources and show notes on our website. It's important stuff. But I don't think we have too many updates for the CritterCast crew today. I think we can kind of just dive right on in. We've been we've been kind of busy, I will say. The only thing is that we've been kind of busy doing a couple different interviews on Ooh, other podcasts. Yeah. Exciting. Uh, sometimes both of us, sometimes only one of us is invited. It's fine. I'm not <laughs> offended. Um and so, you know, as those episodes come out, as they get edited and get published, we will, of course, let you guys know if you want to check out some fun new podcasts. But today you're here listening to us. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Oh, and I guess the other big update is that we've got uh, some new equipment that we're playing around with. I don't know if you guys will hear a difference. Here's hoping. <laughs> there you go. Hopefully it's not a bad difference. Hopefully it's a good difference. Send us feedback. Let Fingers us know. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Just try to see if you can even figure out what equipment it is. Ooh. Who knows? Ooh, guessing game. Guessing we game. We can send a sticker to whoever gets it. Okay. Sounds like fun. Yay. <laughs> what, what do you want to talk about? Like when I say we're talking about seahorses today, what is the, what you're most excited to talk about? 
Are they even real? Also, are they actually the fairies of the sea? Also, what are they? Are they like some sort of very oddly shaped starfish or Mm -hmm. sea urchins? Also, are they... um, I, I feel like I remember something interesting about reproduction uh-huh. methods. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and also they're so cute, but also how big do they get and how many colors do they come in? Uh-huh. I have a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Yeah. It seems like you do. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that all of those questions were real. I feel like I, I sense just a, a tad bit of no, sarcasm in that's there. That's actual real. Okay. Tell me all of it. All it of sounds, it. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Well, I like to start all of the episodes that I that I captain uh, with just some basics. So, you know, it's important to just talk about the basics. When we talk about seahorses, we're not talking about one specific species, at least not today. There sure. are, you could go, you know, down and dirty with one specific species, but I decided we were going to talk a little bit more generally. So we're talking about anybody argues between... 47 and 56 different species. Is that all? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wow. Not, it's not as much as you would think. Yeah, I was thinking you were going to say hundreds or thousands. Mm-mm. Okay, nope. cool. Just, just you know, between, all right. between 40 that. and 60 sure. different species in the genus. We don't know for sure. Well, I think there's just every different source had a different random number. And so it might have been that some of those were written at different times and we've picked oh, more or, you know, lumped sure, sure. more in those times. They do but fluctuate. Taxonomy. Yay. Yay. Um, but I think it's interesting that the genus name for seahorses is hippocampus. Ah, yeah. I remember that yes. because hippo means something about horses, right? Mm-hmm. And campus means like brain. Um, that's what I thought too, what but it it's, it's Greek instead of Latin. And oh. it basically means horse sea monster. So, I love it. Okay, so there cool. You go. And and they are basically like if we're looking at that taxonomy, they they are fish. They're classified as fish. What? Right? No. Yeah, they're classified as fish. Wait. They're they're small bony fish that what? are in the same family as like pipefish and piranhas. Mm, are piranhas bony fish? Maybe, I yeah. I mean, like bony fish is a know. really large group because oh it's gosh. basically any fish that's more bone than cartilage. But I don't understand. I would have thought that seahorses would have way more in common with horses. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, you know, like sea stars or other sorts of, well, I guess. Sea stars don't have skeletons, right? They're fully cartilage, aren't they? Mm, yes. And also, like, sea stars are way more primitive than seahorses. Uh, so sea stars what? and sea urchins and things that are living animals but are, like, plant animals, you know? Right, right, right. Versus seahorses are much closer to fish Crazy. in that they, you know, they see, they hear, they move <laughs> on their own. Seahorses see. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, and they have sexual as opposed to asexual reproduction. reproduction. So crazy. You know, I know when, when I was thinking about it, when I was like, okay, what is a seahorse? Cause it lives in the water, but not everything that lives in the water is it a fish lives in the water and under the sea. <laughs> Something seahorse. I don't know. Uh, Work on it, Karina. And when you think about how seahorses are portrayed in like 
movies and TV shows. Right. Like, like on SpongeBob, because you just you were just yes. singing it. The only time we see seahorses are as horses for other yes. animals. Right. Which makes no sense. No. And in The Little Mermaid, there's like two different versions of seahorses. So there's like large seahorses that pull their, their right. little Tritons. consoles, carriages. Yeah, yeah. But then there's that little tiny seahorse that talks and is humanoid. Oh, right. And acts as like, so. Very strange. There's quite a caste system among seahorses. Yeah. People just didn't really ever care to try and classify oh. seahorses. But then Lazy. again, The Little Mermaid's a hot mess because uh, like. I assume the mermaids eat sea life. I would assume so. I don't so. think they're vegetarian. Maybe they're vegan. I mean, okay. I don't know. But like, well, okay, but same with SpongeBob, though. Mm-hmm. And also with SpongeBob, SpongeBob is a sponge. I would assume SpongeBob would Oh, and he's also be... not like a living sponge. Like Wait. when you watch their super meta episodes, he's literally like, like a, a sponge. Like a cleaning like a, sponge. Like a dish sponge. Not a sea sponge. Yes. Okay, even if he was a sea sponge, <laughs> he would be way more prim- primitive than yes. a seahorse. Oh, yeah. What is happening? I, mean, I don't think we can take our logic from children's stuff. Oh, <laughs> right. But the point is that when I was like, okay, what are seahorses? Yeah. I didn't necessarily not think they were fish, but also didn't necessarily think they were fish either. I guess I would have just thought they were their own thing. Yeah, but we we have said, you know, they fit all the criteria to be a fish. Okay. So there you go. Taxonomy? Yay? Yeah, sure. Yeah. They okay. uh, more like taxonomy why still because <laughs> it just it's not, you know, they they have a lot of things about them that make them not really like not like most other fish, but whatever. Like what? Tell me all like of it. Like what? Like, oh my gosh. Well, um, can we talk a little bit more about their basics first? Yes. We'll get into all the all all of what yes. makes them different. So they're bony. They're not cartilaginous. No, they're bony and they, instead of having scales, have like thin skin that stretches across all those bone plates. Like membrane-y skin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just, you know, you can think of like... Oh. Mm, anything that's just like 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 stretch bands and like all that kind of things where they can like kind of stretch out across and things. I'm sorry, you said bone plates. Yeah. So yeah. they have like they're kind of like dinosaurish, you know? Cool. Yeah. Uh, they are saltwater animals, and they're sure. found in shallow tropical or temperate waters. Huh near like over 180 different countries. So they're kind of dispersed all over the world, anywhere it's warmer or temperate, but not like widely spread. So they have really niche Hmm. environments because they like sheltered areas like coral reefs and seagrass beds and estuaries and things like that. Do we have them off the coast of California? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Yeah. In a couple of different places, not all over, but yeah, it's, it's cool enough. It's temperate enough waters, but but like we wouldn't find them near the Arctic or Antarctic coasts because this is too cold. Yeah. Just not there for that. Um, um, they are, they range in size from anywhere from 1.5 to 35.5 centimeters. Okay. Tiny, which, tiny. Yeah. Which for us here in the United States is like half an inch to 14 inches. So. Oh. Yeah. Wait. Well, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. So they, some of them are teeny, teeny, tiny, and some of them are pretty large. 14 inches? Mm-hmm. That is bigger than my forearm. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's bigger than the foot. Yeah. I 
have not there are there are far that. more species of small okay not as many like teeny teeny tinies but it's more commonly to see them pretty small versus to see those big old you know foot long so but they exist cool i know um they have you know they're they're called seahorses commonly because obviously even though they are not in fact related to horses they do kind of have that, that face. horse-like look yeah. so they have that long snout some of them have shorter snouts than others there's literally a short snouted and a long snouted those are two different species right but they have a long nose kind of that curled bent, bent neck mm, and just mm-hmm. like that looks like yeah. yeah, and yeah. they and they are upright, which for fish is not. What did you Google that had I you Google giant seahorse? Oh no, because I wanted to see a comparison of of a big seahorse to some oh. th- sort of size thing, and I don't know why, but the first thing that comes up is a werewolf baby doll that you can buy on Etsy for three thousand dollars, and it is terrifying oh no google it right now no i'm i will not be doing i'm so. clicking on it cassie are you determined to derail my notes today i'm not looking at it's it it's oh so my God. creepy stop it okay i'm sorry gross giant seahorses yes more <laughs> tell um, me more I about i wasn't talking about giant seahorses specifically we're talking about the basics okay the basics. So they have those long snouts. Yes. The long kind of curving necks. Yep. And prehensile tails. Yeah, they do. Which like what else in the ocean has a prehensile tail like a monkey? Sea monkeys. True. But. Duh. Sea monkeys are, you know. That was an easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike most other fish, they swim upright. Yeah. But it's really hard to swim upright. Yeah. So they are not very good at it. They're actually really, really ineffective swimmers. Okay. So wait, how do they actually propel themselves? So they do have one small dorsal fin. Okay. And then they change directions with the tiny, thin pectoral fins on the sides of their heads. Well, no wonder they're not getting anywhere. Yeah. And those things can beat super fast, something like, like 500 beats a minute. Oh, okay. But. It's still pretty ineffective. They're like the hummingbirds of the sea. Kind of, but hummingbirds can be way more mobile. And stabby. Yes, true. I mean, are hummingbirds stabby? Yes. Okay. They are. Okay. Um, So basically, they are mostly immobile. They can move around a little bit, but not a ton. So an individual one's going to have a pretty limited range. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and they they live communally. They can hang out together, and they oh, don't they don't have territories that they like defend oh. as their own because they live in these small areas anyway. They just kind of have to to share and oh, just I love them hang tight and be cool. That's so cute. They are adorable, and I've always loved them. Yes, I just think it's important because they basically suck at moving which is definitely hashtag relatable (laughs) they make excellent ambush predators oh yeah they do you know when you when you can't really move just kind of waiting and letting the food come to you is is what just it just makes the most sense like that's living life like a seahorse i mean honestly that's what we should just do i know right 
That's that's what, why we did we invented food delivery. And yes, just waiting for Uber the food and to come DoorDash to you. just for yeah, just <laughs> ambush for predator the foods. Um, they mostly eat tiny crustaceans. That's their primary diet, and they will Yum. like snack 30, thirty to fifty times a day. Oh my gosh, thirty to fifty times. So they just hang out on like their little seagrass sofa. Mm-hmm. And open their mouths and snag snackies. Yeah. They forage too as needed. So nice. like if the food isn't coming to them, they'll do a little bit of foraging along the seafloor. But mostly they're like, oh, you know, they're really good at camouflage. So they're like, I'll oh, just yeah. hang here. Did you know on the note of camouflage? So they, they range in colors depending on their environment and okay. the species. But most species are capable of growing and retracting like spiny appendages to help better blend in. Like like a um like an octopus or a mm-hmm. cuttlefish or something, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. See, that, that makes them a little more fish like in your mind, right? They have No, these, I don't like, think of octopuses as fine. fish like. Fine. It's but fine. now I'm gonna assume that they're distantly related to octopods. Potentially. I mean oh. somewhere. Most things that lived in the sea evolved from oh. the same single cell organisms at some point. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I actually wrote in my notes, babies will eat 3,000 shrimpies per day. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of shrimpies. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about like teeny, teeny, tiny microscopic crustaceans. Are they all named Eleanor? (laughs) Because honestly, no wonder Eleanor liked shrimp so much from the good place. Because basically Eleanor is a seahorse. It's just a baby seahorse? Yes. Maybe. I don't know. Like, it's... It's potentially... She hangs out on her couch. It's potentially true. Opens her mouth for the shrimpies to pour in. And is at her best when she's communally living. (laughs) Is she, though? Yeah, because we get better from what we give to others. Oh. We just watched the finale, y'all. It's stung. We're ruined. We're a little bit ruined. I think that's just... Like, all of our references today are probably going to be good place references, and you're going to have to deal with it, guys. Just deal. That's just going to be life. Embrace it. (laughs) Spinoff podcast that's just quotes from the good place. (laughs) (laughs) So, usually, I would save this section of the notes till the end, but because the research and the information I know y'all will demand is so heavy in what I would normally talk about earlier, we're going to move up the order a little bit and talk about, you know, their their status in the wild, how they do in, all that good stuff. And? I mean, we're not we're nowhere near losing all seahorses but yet. however mm-hmm. many many species are endangered uh, and that's because they face habitat loss all the same stuff that most sea life faces lots of pollution so habitat loss overfishing and uh, a lot of capturing wildlife for aquarium mm. pets Oh. Which sucks because they, like, wild caught especially, they make terrible aquarium pets. Yeah. They don't thrive. They're, even though you would think, like, their lifestyle is pretty simple, that just, it's really tough to nail a saltwater environment. Sure. And yeah. they're not very hardy. So, Aww, you know, they got that babies. thin, stretched out skin. Yeah. They're just not very hardy. Even their bone plates don't help them. No, not really. So they, they just don't really thrive. They also are um, used in a lot of traditional medicines. And so, oh. A lot of times they are overfished for that. Okay. And they're caught often as, like, the larger ones are caught often as byproducts. Mm -hmm. So it's just 
all all of the bad issues has put some of the species into a, you know danger level. But so the bright spot is okay. that there have been more efforts recently to breed them in captivity to at least combat okay. like wild catching them. Yeah. Um, and and captive bred ones are showing to thrive a lot better in aquariums. Sure. As, Unsurprisingly. Right? As is yes. usually the principle. Yeah. So that's good that, you know, for people who may want to have a thriving saltwater aquarium in their home. Yeah. You may be able to at some point responsibly have safe, healthy, thriving seahorses in your home aquarium. Not yet. Just wait. Yeah. Be patient. Wait a little bit. Okay. Hang tight. And that's, you know, that's the tea with seahorse endangerment. It's nothing, nothing too specific because there's no big danger to any one or any group of species yet. It's kind of widespread. It's just widespread, like be better about how we, how we use the earth. Right. Because it will ripple out and affect even the tiniest of Adorable sea creatures. And sustainable fishing is such an important thing to pay attention to. Oh, absolutely. Where Where is it that there's information about sustainable food that you can find? Sustainable seafood? It's Seafood Watch, powered by the Monterey Bay Aquarium. So if you are interested in knowing how... What's the best type of, you know, way to find out what each different type of seafood um, needs sustainability-wise? Like, which ones are best wild-caught from yeah. what areas? Which ones are best farmed? Um, which specific, you know, types of crab, which specific types of fish um, are the best to eat if you're trying to be sustainable? The Seafood Watch has a lot of really good information nice. about that. They will advise you not to eat seahorses, I think. But I also, so. I'm not sure you would want to. I don't want to. There's not a lot of... No, they're too there. bony. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of bones. They're bony fish. Not a lot of other meat. I don't want to scrape my tongue on a Yikes. bone plate. Nah. No good. No good. <laughs> they're just, you know. I'm feeling like I probably could have gone a little bit deeper into some of these factoides. We can do that when we do like a specific species. Right. I yeah. just decided like I knew what everybody wanted to talk about. So what does everyone want to talk about? What do you think everyone wants to talk about? Is it the reproduction? Perhaps. Or you could call it courtship mating and flipping the switch. Okay, as tell I me did in my notes. All of it. Okay. So Biggest thing, when I say, what do you know about seahorses, what do you think of? Um, I feel like, mm, do they mate for life? No. Okay. No, they don't actually. But we'll talk a little bit about monogamy and non-monogamy and all that fun stuff. Which makes sense because they're fish. Yes. Yeah. Um, Is there something about the males carrying the babies? (laughs) Yes. What? all, all anyone ever wants to talk about, like every, when you Google seahorses and it's like surprising seahorse facts, uh-huh. everybody acts like it's a massive surprise that the males are the ones who honestly go through a form all of pregnancy. Of it? It's not yes. just that they carry like the eggs, yes. it's that they go through a form of pregnancy, um, which we will talk about, but there's some more interesting stuff in okay. their mating that we should talk about first. Okay. And it really all starts with their courtship. Like, I feel tru- like this is going to be the cutest romantic movie ever. Is it? 
Okay, so here's oh, no. the thing. A couple of years ago, the probably actually like closer to 10 years ago now, but the Monterey Bay Aquarium, so they have rotating exhibits that come through. They have all their like right. their standard stuff that they have all the time, and then they'll have different focuses and exhibits, and they had a whole summer all about seahorses. And they really romanticized, which I think is where this mm. idea that you're thinking of like, oh, they mate for life. They really romanticized this courtship and mating ritual okay. because it is, I mean, it, it is a kind good of narrative. Like, yes, yeah. absolutely. It it does not mean that they have like emotional attachment to each other. So don't get too excited. They have tiny brains. I know. Um, but it is like a way more complex ritual than most other, I mean, definitely than like almost any other sea animals, but then like most other animals in general. Wow. Why? I mean, I can't tell you why per se, because I am not in fact a seahorse, but I can give you some, I'm disappointed in that fact that I'm not a seahorse. Yes. (laughs) Uh, but I could give you, I think you should work on that. I should just that, that would be a better journey for me. Yeah. I I would (laughs) love that journey journey for you. you. Um, well, so I can give you some hypotheses on why it is that they have all these extensive courtships, but I think we should talk specifically about what their courtships look like because yes. across species there it's, it's a very specific thing. Like that all of the, mm-hmm. all of the, yeah, there's going to be, do? there's going to be variety in like how long things go on wow. or, you know, but, but generally they kind of all have these like four different phases. Okay. Basically it's there'll, there'll be multiple days of visitation and courtship before they actually mate. Huh. And it's like, as they're just kind of like picking and choosing eh, and it gives them both opportunity for the males are usually the ones that initiate, you know, of course, okay. because that's, that's how it goes. Though you'd think not all the time. Well, and you'd think that it might be swapped when we talk about, well, males are the ones that have the babies. I mean, we don't want to assume and like apply our gendered stereotypes. No, but humans do. Like yes. that's just how we humans do. go. You assume that when one, when that big piece of the, of the mating ritual is flipped, that like the whole thing must be flipped. Yeah. It's just the total opposite. But it's not true. Okay. It is, it is traditionally much more like other animals mating rituals. So your males are your ones who will instigate, you know, a pursuit of courtship okay. and they'll fight with each other over attention. Mm-hmm. They don't fight to the death or anything crazy, okay, but good. they will like clash tails and butt heads, Aww. which, you know, just, and, and scientists have observed no females doing this. Only the males. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> and the females, when they are like ready to, when they have eggs that are like almost ready to go and they're like, Kind of, kind of getting ready, getting a little flirty. Yeah, there'll be like hormones released, like with most of other animals. Yeah. So the males will be able to kind of initiate courtship and say, "Oh, that that one seems ready. Hi, would you like to mate with me?" Mm-hmm. And they start this by first the the males will brighten in color and kind of. I will say the specifics of some of these and the wording of some of these is a little bit not as kid friendly. So if you have children listening to this episode, we are going to get a little bit adult 
in this section, but we'll try to keep it. As pertains to seahorses. Right, so. right, right. We're going to try and keep it, you know, <laughs> educational. So there right. you go. Yeah. Uh, but Give your kids something new to tell their teacher about. <laughs> <laughs> so the males start, but the females also participate in the same kind of activity. So it starts with a brightening of colors okay. and, and just kind of a vibrancy and a lot of quivering um, <laughs> with these, like, that's just like an excite, like an overexcitement quiver. <laughs> Um, and that's you, always going to happen. Do you, do you remember in um, 10 Things I Hate About You, the movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, <laughs> the counselor the who's writing. The membrane? Uh-huh. Yeah. The counselor who's writing the, the romance novel and is trying to figure out how to talk about the quivering <clears throat> something. And apparently seahorses have quivering membranes. Yeah, well, because their skin is kind of like a membrane. I love it. So there you go. Uh, that always happens like at dawn. They stay a, a separate from huh. each other at night, but then for multiple days, they'll just come together in the morning and kind of have this like, hey, what up ritual, and then be apart for the rest of the day again. Hey, boo. Yeah, just to kind of be like, do we vibe with each other? Like a couple coffee dates, you know? Uh-huh, just like uh-huh. hanging in their, out. In their nice clothes and their quivering membranes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So great. So great. Um, and then when when they're getting closer to like that day of, that morning they'll go back to do that kind of initial point chip. But when the females are like, okay, my eggs are ready to go, they have a very short period when like they're ready that they have to expel those eggs. So when the males come that morning and the females are like it's today today's the day it's gotta oh happen they will orient their bodies in what's called a pointing position where they'll basically just kind of angle themselves towards the males okay sometimes they will like wrap their tails around each other because they're you know fancy little prehensile tails right but then the males will also uh in this point they might kind of like quiver and back away for a little bit and this lasts for like, like a little dance, an hour or so. Okay. And then they will break up for a while. The females will dim in color and just kind of be like, okay, I picked you, but I need a break now. Like, <laughs> which is kind of odd that they're like, they're gearing up and then they're like, eh, hit the brakes. It's time to take a pause. All right. And then, you know after, what? They take it slow. That's, yeah. That's cool. Exactly. That's chill. Like, and then when the females are like, okay, 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 I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm, I'm actually fully ready, she will move back towards the male and rebrighten her colors okay. and resume that pointing position. And then if he points back at her and they just kind of like hang out for a little bit, everything's going well, he might take a break and go away and they might repeat that one to six times. Oh my gosh. And that's pretty Folks, standard across get different a room. species. I know. There's a lot of oh my gosh. There's a lot of foreplay. I'm just saying. Like <laughs> that's that's really what it is. And then finally after, you know, the sometimes it's the first time, sometimes it's the sixth time when they're like finally ready to do the thing, mm-hmm. they will find a plant to anchor in together first, and then they will intertwine their tails and swim upwards. While kind of twirling, forming like a water column. Oh my goodness! Basically, it, wow. That, that's how where it gets, showy. That's where it gets kind of romantic. Yeah. Like when you watch seahorses mating, that's where the human brain goes. It's so sweet and it's, it's so, so cute. They're, they're literally dancing, and like oh it's a mating ritual that and is just really pretty to watch. Are there 
also, I feel like there should be music and flashing lights that's coordinated to the beat of the music. Oh, sure. Okay, Sure. I'm Excellent. I'm guarantee that high level production is happening. Thank you. In all the coral I'm reefs. really glad to know about that. Uh, but they do that. They will swim upwards uh, anywhere the from. The coral piece. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. They will swim upwards anywhere from just a short distance, like a couple centimeters, all the way up to like 13, 15 centimeters in their water column, just kind of depending on how big they are and Mm -hmm. how excited they are. (laughs) Uh, And then, uh, you know, because, and also sometimes it takes them because they have very little power and are connected. Right. A few, it takes them some time to get some height in there. Some lift there. Uh, But when they do, the female will then use her ovipositor which we've talked a little bit about before i think it's exactly what it sounds like yeah an egg depositor with a long tube like appendage that will come out and deposit her eggs directly into the male's brood pouch oh which has an opening right at the base of their tail okay tummies and that is so oh my gosh they're marsupials yeah right they're like marsupial fish ish octopods Ish, except for that, it's it's way more like pregnancy than it is like like, like a marsupial. A, how funny! Who like has an undeveloped baby and then it crawls back into an external pouch. Fascinating. Yeah, it's crazy pants. Seahorses, like I'm down, but also why? Right. So complex. They are. I dig it. Yeah. Uh, next, we're gonna go ahead and and talk more specifically about. What that, like what happens after that, why that's interesting, why we think it happens. But I think it's a good pausing time mm. to just give a little shout out ah. to, a, to a fellow podcast. Okay. It's promo time. Yay. I don't like when we leave it all the way to the end. We need a little, like, a little promo time tune. That, it's promo time. I don't think that'll be it. Okay, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Get around to it. Mm. Oh, I don't like that either. (laughs) (laughs) But it is indeed promo time. And this week we are going to be featuring a super cool podcast that is also part of the Lady Pod Squad that Cassie is a part of that Karina eventually might get around to joining. It's so great. Who knows? Any any folks out there who are non- gender or wait what who are gender non-binary there we go it's been a long day folks <laughs> um or who are uh, female identifying definitely check it out it's a fantastic very supportive group yeah just to kind of be there to help lift up other podcasters especially as you're getting started so today we just we just picked a promo off the list of submissions that sounds really cool we took a look at this podcast they sound really cool check them out are you a true crime addict Do you find yourself talking serial killers and missing persons at parties only to be met with uncomfortable smiles? Well, find your tribe on True Crime Snack Time, a daily podcast that gives you a little true crime snack to chew on. From January 1st to December 31st, you'll find out what happened on this day in true crime. Short, sweet, and chock full of crime. Join me, Allison, on True Crime Snack Time. We're available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow True Crime Snack Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Crime Snack Pod. And remember, keep your friends close and your snacks closer. I feel like that promo is actually really relevant to seahorses. Yeah. <laughs> keep your friends close and your snacks closer. Accurate. What a great tagline. Yes. That's a killer promo. Also, it's get me. it. 
killer promo. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm um, for your bite sized true crime needs. Oh my god, I love it, and I'm excited to listen. And I don't say that about most podcasts because I don't really say that about most things in general. <laughs> but I am so. We hope you guys check them out. We are happy to give them a shout out. And we look forward to listening to Bite Size True Crime in in the near future. (laughs) But we should probably make it back to, you know, swim back around as difficult as it may be with our one dorsal fin and our two pectoral fins. Tiny little pectoral fins. Yeah. Um, Our ear fins really is what they are. That just makes them even cuter. Right? Yes. These tiny little ear fins. Uh, oh, my gosh. Back back to seahorse land. Where, where did we leave our, our mating pair off? Water columns. Water columns. Oh, and um, the brood pouch. The brood pouch. The ovipositor deposits mm-hmm. ready-to-be-fertilized eggs okay. into the brood pouch. Okay. Where they are then fertilized inside so, the brood pouch. So, Okay. Maybe this is too detailed, but what's the mechanism for fertilization? Is there... So the sperm that are created uh-huh. in the males get released into the brood pouch when okay. it opens, when the ovipositor goes uh-huh. in, and that triggers it so that there's actually a lot of research that's been done on does that help um, lower competition in the sperm so that like there's just kind of this tiny window they don't have to make it all the way through things Hmm. it just makes it really easy that's why they tend to end up with pretty large numbers of babies because fertilization is usually pretty successful wow that's great depending on the species the this can be anywhere from like 15 babies to like hundreds of babies oh i'm like just hundreds. picturing little teeny tiny baby seahorses mm-hmm. and i am so in love yeah and they they are teeny oh tiny and adorable <laughs> but before that happens yeah this is why it is often compared more to pregnancy than mm-hmm. it is to other traditional types of like you know pouches Pouch. and marsupials or yeah. anything like that because so fertilization occurs and then the fertilized eggs implant on the wall of the brood pouch, just oh. like they might in like in a, a uterus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's, it's not the same as like latching onto a teat. It's actual yeah, like implanting cell like implantation. embryos oh. implanting into the wall. And then, so what huh. happens is that the chemistry of the brood pouch is regulated as well as the males releasing, uh, prolactin, which is the same hormone that is responsible for milk in mammals. Karina, I just have to stop you for a second. Yes. This is fascinating. Yeah. I know. What weird little critters. And I got to tell you, I had to read like three actual scientific papers to better understand this. This That's why I didn't go into specifics on other things. This is some amazing research, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Very well done. I really like seahorses. Gold star. This is fascinating. We haven't gotten to the best stuff yet. Oh my God. There's more? There's more. Okay. 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 So firstly, it's fascinating that Basically, it's not, and it's not just like with fish eggs where chicken eggs, fish eggs, bird eggs, the embryo and the yolk around the egg is what nourishes the little embryos. Right, 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 right. But the males are actually producing hormones. Like a milk type Inorganic compounds. Oh my gosh. To nourish the babies. Meanwhile, they're regulating the chemistry inside the brood pouch to transition it from like amniotic type fluid yeah. to the seawater so that when they're ready to hatch and come out of the pouch. Right. They'll be able to survive in the seawater. Mm-hmm. 
like a slow transition. These are some good dads. Yeah. And it's massive. That's amazing. And like when you look at a pregnant male seahorse, they look like pregnant animals because <laughs> the, as so the embryos cute. grow and develop, their brood pouch extends and they just Aww. look like little pregnant seahorses. And sometimes it's massive and sometimes it's not as massive depending on how many really irritated babies are in there. When all the other female seahorses come around and pat their pouch. They don't though. So uh, uh. in, because in this, in this gestation period, Mm -hmm. so that lasts anywhere from only like two weeks to six weeks, depending on the species, Seems about right. which is fair, you know, depending on how many babies have to develop in there and how much room there is in there. And every day during the gestation, even though the females left, like as soon as she deposits their egg, she's like, peace, bye. I did it. She visits every morning to say, Hey. What up? And they'll do like a little mini version of their courtship. Oh my gosh. Every morning. Does just she to check in. Bring resources or anything? No. She just She's not like fighting off other females? No. She's just like Well, the females are not like they're not right, the ones not that have territorial. to seek out. Yeah. She's just like keeping in contact how things going. Yeah. And even though because they breed seasonally, right. during warmer as most animals during whatever their climate's warmer season is and yeah. time um they the females will probably be ready to breed pretty quickly again but they won't breed or mate with another seahorse while their original mate is still pregnant <laughs> unlike some people you know <laughs> i <No>. mean <laughs> yikes uh so so they'll continue to to check in until the the day they go and usually birth happens at night and so usually like they go one morning and oh, funny oh not pregnant anymore and the males are like ready to go again right oh, after. wow okay wow So theoretically they could start their courtship ritual like all over again right over again and sometimes the females would be like okay here we go today and other times they might wait a day or two is that actually why they're visiting maybe every day they're they're like like, are you ready are you ready that was really fun last time are you uh are you ready to go again maybe now that not all seahorses will choose to go like they they generally will all kind of have this visiting ritual yeah sometimes though they'll go back and say you know what I'm not really interested in you. I found a better one over here. And like another male but could come in and be like. after. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, um, so there was an experiment done, which we'll talk about in more detail later because that wasn't the main point of the experiment. Okay. But they, they had a female that they put with um, a male uh-huh. and they, when he was pregnant, took him out of the tank and introduced a different male to her. Ooh. And she went and visited every day, but there was no courtship behavior shown. Oh, how funny. And then when the babies were born of her original mating yeah and they put that male back in she went and visited him and then chose to mate like and then those the two males fought a little bit uh-huh and then she chose to mate with the other one that had been introduced oh how funny but not until after the even original though, mate was available again even though he wasn't around mm-hmm. how did she know i don't know she just was like i gotta just you know i have to remember if that was the good one Crazy. or if i'm looking for something better wow um which is fascinating yeah so we assume that that's kind of what they do out in the wild too because right. that's that's what they did with no prompting they just were like here you go there this you go but a lot amazing. of times they will opt to mate with the same seahorse yeah throughout the breeding season sometimes even for multiple breeding seasons but for the most part it's kind of like by breeding season okay so they are definitely not monogamous okay partly because 
I just don't think they care that much. Sure. Or maybe your colors looked better this season than they did last season. Maybe you're, just, you're getting like, a little old now. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so they're fun like that. Have fun. We did kind of skip over a little bit because we got excited talking about the females. Um, the males do give birth and it okay. is hard on them. Oh, so no. So they have one one exit point and they have to birth the babies one at a time. Okay. And that could be hundreds. Oh, my gosh. And you'll see their little bodies like, convulse. Oh, if you ever watch it, it's actually really interesting to watch. Yeah. It's nowhere near like what most mammals go through where you have like a teeny tiny hole that needs to expand and takes hours and grow stuff like that because the hole is just about the size of the babies. But still, that's still a lot of work for those. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. For sure. But then they're kind of ready to go right over again. Dare my friend take a little time uh, off. Wow. Nah, that's what they're built for. Okay. They're ready to go. All right. But yeah, you should definitely, if you've never watched the videos of it, you should, because yeah. it's just really interesting. And also when the babies come out, they're just tiny, fully formed seahorses. <laughs> they're just tiny miniatures of their oh parents. They receive like all that, that love and care that went into making them mm-hmm. as soon as they're born. Boom, out the window. Oh my gosh. Have on it. They're, because they're fully they're formed. Totally formed. They they're don't totally need to stick around. They can fend for themselves. They can start eating microscopic organisms, oh you my know. Goodness. Work their way up to more visible shrampies. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Blow wow. your mind. They're just they're just I don't even know what planet I live on anymore. I don't know what planet they live on. They're just like weird little aliens. I yeah. love them. I love them. All wild animals to me, when you really think about how they work, they all kind of feel like Accurate. aliens, but especially water animals. Oh, yeah. Because it like, is an alien environment to us. Right. It operates so And they do. I forgot to mention it earlier, but the reason they're, one of the other reasons they're classified as fish is because they do have a very traditional gill system oh, for, for breathing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. They may not be able to swim like most fish, yeah. but they have a very traditional gill. Huh gill lung system you know um they are awesome so when we started looking at these these you know flipping the switch males are the ones that do what it seems like to be most of the work scientists thought why like what is the benefit of this right right and why does it and especially when the females are still the ones producing the eggs the males are still the ones producing the sperm yeah what an interesting exchange so dr let me i I wrote down her name dr heather mason jones Uh who at the time of her study was at amherst university Mm -hmm. decided to conduct a study in 2000 and she hypothesized that females demanded that long courtship to prevent a batch of eggs from being wasted because it takes a long time and a lot of energy to create eggs. It's about one third of their body weight when they have a oh, batch of eggs that are dang. ready to go. So if you think about like, Oh, of so the that's really hard on eggs, their body hundreds or potentially in some species, sure. even thousands, that's a lot of energy that goes into making them. Right. And because they, when they're ready to go, they have to be expelled. Right. If there's not a male there and ready to go, they yeah. get wasted. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, so they demand to see you back every day until it's <laughs> you time gotta to put go. in that work, mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating. So she hypothesized that, and then she wanted to know exactly how much energy both of them were putting into these offspring. Okay. And if that would then kind of right. show us why so it happens like the way it does. equal energy for her to create the eggs and for him to carry and, and mm-hmm, birth them. Mm-hmm. Or if it's 
Because if when you just think about it, it feels like it would be more for him to carry and birth them all. I mean, for way longer it than does it takes her like to make the eggs, oh. right? Because because they can regenerate and have eggs ready to go on pretty consistent cycles, right? And then the males, depending on how long the pregnancy is, right? They're out out for, of commission for a couple weeks, yeah. you know. But so the way she decided to measure it was that just like you would count calories in food, she. She looked at how much yeah. energy is in each egg. Okay. And then on average, how many eggs do the females take? How And that you look at how much that took to produce. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, a heavy amount. I, I didn't get specific numbers. Yeah. Then to measure how much energy the males expended while pregnant, she looked at their oxygen intake. Oh. So she took the baseline of like a normal non-pregnant. And then she looked at throughout an entire pregnancy, how much extra oxygen did that to did a seahorse take cool. in? What right? a neat methodology. Fancy. And it makes sense because sure. oxygen is is a high form of energy in our bodies. We take it in, we expel it. It's a good way to measure how energy is flowing through. Gives us a lot of kinetic energy. Yeah. Sure. I don't know what I don't I'm talking remember. about. The 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 ATC chain. Yeah, that exactly. <laughs> I I'm I'm flashing back to high school biology here, but uh the ETC chain. It's not ATC, it's ETC. Yes. Yeah, it's fine. Um but they found that even though, yes, the males were using about thirty percent more oxygen during pregnancy than they were when they were not pregnant, they still were giving about half the amount of energy that the females were just to make the eggs. Really? Because making eggs is hard. Because you're creating yes. a new cell yes. out of your own cell. Yes. Yeah. It's hard. It's a lot of energy. So, so even with all, all that, the, the females are still putting more in than the males. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So think about for all the mammals, <coughs> humans, but all the mammals, everything mm. that they do in that process, including making the eggs, mm-hmm. having the eggs fertilized, implanting, cherishing, nourishing the eggs mm-hmm. that turn into embryos that turn into children, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then birthing them out of mm-hmm. holes that are not supposed to mm-hmm. be that large. I mean, they are because that's nature, mm-hmm. but don't feel like they're supposed to be that large. <laughs> They do that all on their own. What I'm hearing is if you have a person in your life who has done the birthing thing, give them a little like, hey, shout out to you. That was hard. A lot of friggin' work and you are... If you are ever around a a person who is in the middle of said journey of growing a a human being, just... Like but buy them a milkshake. Anything they want, anything they do, yeah. respect. If they just want to complain, even though it seems like it's not that hard, firstly, you don't know how hard it is. Secondly, just let them. Yeah. Let them live their lives. Give because them a they're foot expending run. a lot of energy and oxygen. It's <laughs> a lot of oxygen. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh. I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. That's very and cool. Just gave me a lot of Vindication, even though I myself have never been through this process. Awesome research. Thanks to Dr. Mason Jones. Mason Jones. Yeah. Mason Jones. One long full name. Cheers. Dr. Heather Mason Jones. Awesome. I know. I kind of want to know what she's up to these days, but I didn't have time to research what she's doing. Uh, There was a lot of info for her just about in general, like seahorses are fascinating and why haven't we done more research into them? Yeah. And there's still so much more room to find out how fancy they be 
but that's that's what we've been able to come to conclude ah. is that they have those extensive courtship rituals because otherwise a lot of energy is wasted. Cool. Did you look up Maybe. Dr. Heather Mason Jones? Yes. And what is she doing? Um, okay, so A, Dr. Heather Mason Jones has amazing pink hair. Oh, I love it. And is, it looks like, currently a professor at the University of Tampa. Ooh. Yeah. I Very bet cool. still studying sea life mm-hmm. because, yep. you know, Tampa's a great place to do that. Yep. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. We will be looking Dr. Heather Mason Jones up on Twitter. Follow her if we can find her with us. Yeah. Because heck yeah. Yeah. I just found it most fascinating. As so cool. Most, most uh, biologically, you know, well, most people with uteruses don't have the option to opt out of making eggs every month. Oh, you, Bert, you followed her on Twitter? Heck yeah, I Is did. she active on Twitter? She has pictures of seahorses. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Look at you. There you go. You can, you can fangirl her and just I be like, hi, excuse me. Right now. We looked at your research for CritterCast and we love you. <laughs> Please don't think we're weird. <laughs> this is us constantly. I know. All the time. I know. Guys, like we're, we are telling you these things because we're excited about them and we want you to be excited about them. Uh, Cassie, I have to tell you. Okay. Tell me. That's it for my research. That was mind-blowing and i feel like we went on quite a journey with seahorses today and i i want to welcome them into my heart even more than i did before yeah and i just google baby seahorses do it (sighs) i'll do it too at the same time if you're not driving and you're near a phone or a computer google it I Googled baby Google instead on accident i was talking (laughs) it's strange don't do that uh, yeah, when you Google them, it's actually they're tiny. The second picture that pops up on Google is extra cute. The first picture, which is the male surrounded by all the tiny babies, you can't even really tell they're baby seahorses. But the first, the second picture, which is zoomed in on a teeny tiny baby with I this got little an prehensile tail, human baby hybrid, and it's freaking oh, me no. out. What is happening with my Google algorithm? I don't know. Uh, okay. Okay, that baby seahorse is adorable. Oh my gosh. Their little pectoral or dorsal fin, that must be their dorsal fin. Yeah, along it the back. It looks like fairy wings. A little bit, yeah. That's their dorsal fin, and mm. then their pectoral fins are the ones on their head. Precious. I know. They're really cute. Oh my gosh. And I gosh. love them, okay? <laughs> Guys. So If you didn't already, I hope you love seahorses after this episode. But if seahorses truly are not your thing and you made it through this episode, props to you for learning new things. And I've got a surprise for you. (gasps) We're going to take a break and not talk about seahorses for the next few minutes. Wait, what? Why? It's time for the Adoption Pet Spotlight. Yay! We're going to have to. So we need two new mini theme songs. Oh, yeah. You better get to work. We'll get to work. So, Cassie, you picked the adoptable animal. We decided to stray from the Elk Grove Animal Shelter for the first time <laughs> since we introduced this this sec- segment. Yep. And, in fact, we're taking it all the way across the country. Okay. We are going to Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Okay. Which is about um, an hour and a half drive away from 
Washington, D.C., it looks like, maybe. It, it also looks like many of our listeners perhaps are based in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Hi, so, guys. Hi. We wanted to make sure y'all had some of the animal fun, too. Yeah. So there is what looks like a really awesome reptile rescue out there. Ooh. I know. Um, and they currently have... Okay, so this rescue, first of all, is called Forgotten Friend Reptile Sanctuary. Aww. Aww. Don't forget your friends. No, love your friends. And and do research so you know you can take care of the friend you are bringing home. <laughs> okay, so the one I picked today is a little bit like definitely do your research before you take this one home. But if you're interested and you've done your research, this would be an amazing opportunity to own a really cool type of critter. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. It's a young Savannah monitor. Oh my God. Yeah. No, thank you. So, <laughs> so Savannah monitors basically are like the closest living thing to velociraptors, only they don't thirst for your blood. Are you sure? I'm not sure. But <laughs> they apparently make awesome pets. They're very smart. Uh, you have to definitely do, like, a lot of work to make sure that they are comfortable with handling and feeding and everything like oh, that. Oh, for sure. But they're really, really rewarding reptile pets and friends. So this particular one doesn't have a name yet. It's a Savannah Monitor. It is young. It is going to be a big old reptile when it's fully grown yeah they don't yet know what sex it is but it's been with them for th several weeks and is doing really well is very sweet loves eating frozen or pre-killed rodents and other proteins still a little jumpy and bitey which is totally normal for young reptiles you yeah. have to do a fair amount of of handling to get them comfortable. Right, because these are not domestic animals. Right. These are wild animals that we capped, we cap, captivate, cap. Captive bred? Oh. I mean, yeah, hopefully yeah. it's captive bred, but like these are wild animals that we bring into our down. homes. Yeah, exactly. Just, they, they live in our homes wild. Exactly. And this guy is really tiny right now. He's only about six inches long. It, they, they are only about six inches long, but when they are fully grown, they will probably be between two to three feet. Yeah. Yeah. Which honestly, when you think about some other lizards, it's not that big. It's really not. It's, mm -mm. But it's long. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, also, they are working on handling uh, and they think he's going, it, they, <laughs> <laughs> they are going to settle down to be a really sweet little lizard. Oh, that's so, good. Super fun. Well, because they're so young still. Yeah. That when you when you have them young, it's a lot easier to tame them mm -hmm. down and get them used to handling and human interaction yep. than if you were to have gotten like uh, an adult that some somebody never handled. Right. And they were like, oh, here yeah. you go. Definitely. Best of luck. Don't lose an arm. Right. And what's really amazing is that the adoption fee is only $50. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, because Savannah monitors are not cheap to no. procure, at least not responsibly. As they shouldn't be because they are not cheap to keep. No. But, no. <laughs> but yeah, and they, um, they adopt only to people who are 18 and older. So kids, if you're listening, talk your folks into it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Do luck. your research. <laughs> present them with a paper. And they would like you to sign a non-breeding agreement. Right. To say that you will keep it as a pet and not use it as part of a breeding program. Which is good, good protocol. Yeah. Especially for people who are not 
professionals because that can be really dangerous. Yes. Especially um, with large lizards. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Definitely. You can apply online at www.forgottenfriend.org slash apply. And you can pick up your new little friend if you do end up adopting at the Lancaster Herpetological Society meeting that happens each month. So even if you don't end up adopting, I think you should definitely go check out that Herp Society meeting. Yeah. That sounds super fun. Absolutely. That's what I got for you today. Yay! Thank you for featuring this wonderful Savannah Monitor on our Adopt-A-Pet Spotlight segment. If our listeners would like to submit a pet for the next Spotlight segment, please feel free. We would love to have it. I think probably on our next one, though, I will be choosing one because I'm going to another shelter in another state for a training. And I'm sure I will have lots of friends I'd like to shout out. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah. That's all we have for you today at CritterCast. Cassie, if they enjoyed this episode and they would like to hear more about CritterCast or just find out more about us, sure. how can they do that? Well, don't go to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Not today, at least. Because <laughs> we're having a little bit of trouble getting our older episodes <laughs> re-up on Spotify. Yeah. Apparently, Spotify changed their policies and a bunch of our episodes disappeared. That's okay. You can find them everywhere else. Yes. <laughs> Literally everywhere. And our newest episodes are up on Spotify and we are working on resolving that issue. Mm-hmm. But you can find us anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher, on Podchaser, all that fun stuff. You mm-hmm. can also find us at our website, which is CritterCast podcast.com exactly and if you're feeling like okay yeah i've listened to episodes and all that but like what else does CritterCast offer us my friend we offer you hilarity and com you know updates on current animal issues on social media so you can find us on facebook at CritterCast, on instagram at CritterCast podcast mm-hmm. and on twitter as cast critter that's right follow for dank animal memes if you love reptiles like us and you're thinking huh maybe i want to go check out one of those reptile shows they're always talking about you can see a little bit of what reptile shows are about on our youtube channel which which is is also just plain critter cast so easy to find you can find vendor vlogs as well as visitor vlogs and just some information on the reptile shows that we've been to and some special features on our own resident critters at home hey karina yes what if the people listening are really into critter cast if they're just like really loving it yeah they absolutely can't get enough there's one more place they can check us out and that would be on our patreon page patreon.com slash critter cast on there we have a lot of fun kind of behind the scenes content we have stickers and photo shoots released ahead of time we also do a monthly patreon exclusive episode on magical creatures if you so head fun. over there right now, you'll have a chance to submit your vote on what animal we do for February. <gasps> oh, boy. Um, because the poll is still up. We're going to close it in a few days. But oh no, the poll hurry. is up uh, for the, the three different animals that we're looking at for February. So go on there. Uh, you are eligible at the $3 tier or above. If you would like to give below $3 a month, there are tiers for that as well. Uh, there's just me. You might not have access to the super fun episodes, but there's other things that you will have access to. Absolutely. So definitely check it out. We hope to see you over at Patreon or just kind of in 
general around yeah. the critter cast world. Say hey, we love chatting about animals and also anything else. Absolutely. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, wait, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah. If you enjoyed this episode mm-hmm. and you have enjoyed other CritterCast episodes, perhaps you might think about telling a friend and or leaving a review. Yes, that's always, always helpful. Leaving reviews on iTunes especially, but on any podcast hosting site and letting friends know that you're listening is the best way to extend our reach so that we can just create more animal lovers in the entire world and have a bigger impact on the animals that we share this planet with, which we would love to do. Are all about sharing the love of animals. That's just our whole method. Thank you so much for tuning in today, CritterCast fans. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We know that you're all the best people because you are the kind of people that think often about baby seahorses and how great they are. And also say thank you to your mothers often. (laughs) (laughs) And also your dads, but also... Unless your dad's a seahorse, thank your mother's first. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be all for today. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. This is the Critter Cast Podcast.